Hey everyone, I'm Andy Kraft. And I'm Aaron Kraft. Welcome to the Health Hacked Podcast. All right, so before we dive into today's episode, I do have a quick announcement. Andy is uh, no longer with us. So I, I got a call from Andy's wife, Katie, where she explained what happened. Um, a couple days ago, Andy went out for a run and he was going to run just a few miles. So he told Katie that he'd be back in about an hour. Well, two hours went by and he was still not back. So Katie tried texting him, calling him, but still no response. So understandably, Katie started to get really worried. So she got in her car and went out looking for him. She drove around the neighborhood and just the general area within like a five mile radius. And she could not find him. There's no sign of Andy out there. So she goes back home um, and realize that, realizes that she forgot to check the garage. That's, that's where their gym is. So she thought, okay, maybe he went for his run and then he just was stretching out in the garage. Well, unfortunately, Andy wasn't in the garage either. But what she did find in the garage were three opened and emptied packets of element on the floor. Then it, it, it all clicked for her. Andy wasn't missing. He was, he was just still out running. The element had fueled him with so many electrolytes that he literally could not stop running. It, it dawned on her at this time that she was able to track him using Find My Friends. So she, she opened her app and she was able to see him and she saw that he was 20 miles away from their home. So she gets back in the car and, and tracks him using the app and is able to drive to him and locate him 20 miles outside of the city. Now, she wasn't able to get him to turn around. He, he's actually still not back yet. And he said that he had to keep running. The, the, the element that he drank, which is the cleanest energy drink on the planet with, with no sugar, no dodgy ingredients, fueled him so much that he could not stop. An element actually replaces your electrolytes in the exact ratio that you lose them from your sweat. So you know that you'll always be properly fueled no matter the situation. And this all happened a couple of days ago, and he's still out there running. We don't know when he's going to be back. But in the meantime, if you want to get your hands on some Element, go to drinkelement.com slash healthact. That's drinklmnt.com slash healthact. All right. Uh, in all seriousness, Andy is not out running. Andy and his wife actually just had their baby about a week ago. So congratulations to them. They're excited to welcome their son into the world, and I'm sure we'll talk about it on the next episode. But Andy is out on a week for paternity leave, and he'll be back with us shortly. So today, instead, um, I am joined by my wife, Mariah, who is going to be co-hosting with me today, and she's going to provide a little bit of expertise on the topic of today's episode. So... It is November already, and with that, the holiday season is upon us. Um, typically, around the holidays, a lot of people's behavior changes, both for the good and bad. People are typically a little bit more joyful since the holiday season means taking breaks from work. We tend to spend more time gathering with friends and family than we would at other times of the year. Uh, we also tend to loosen up our health habits a little bit. So maybe we'll skip a workout here and there uh, with, you know, travel being more common and taking off work. We were a little bit more uh, lenient with our workouts. We're a little bit more lenient with what we eat as well. The diet kind of goes out the window for a few weeks there. 
And perhaps one of the biggest behavioral changes during this period is that we buy a lot of stuff. So last year during the holiday season, we had a podcast episode where we talked about having a healthy relationship with food. And we had Megan Tomlinson on who offers some really great practical advice on how to approach food during the holidays. So definitely take a listen to that. The name of the episode was Stop Dieting Over the Holidays. We'll link that in the show notes. Um, But today we are looking at similar theme, having a relationship, having excuse me, let me repeat that, having a healthy relationship with things. So instead of food, this is things. Um, We are a very, very materialistic uh, and consumeristic society. We, We honestly have more access to things than we've ever had before. We have more luxuries than we've ever had before. Like on paper, we should be a happy and thriving society, especially compared to the way we were, you know, 50, 60 years ago. But if you look out the window, you'll see that that is not the case. So we're going to look at why, um, why and the idea of, you know, how our relationship with our possessions affects our lives. Like we, we try to seek out things to make us happier. Uh, but in the end, that's not always the case. So how do we redefine our relationship relationships with personal things or physical things um, to improve our life? Our, it improves our physical and our mental health. So my wife here is, like I said, um, an expert in this area, not only because she is a compulsive buyer, but she, no, I'm kidding about that. She is, she's a creative marketer. That's what she does for her job. She has her own uh, company where she does uh, work for small businesses. So as a creative marketer and a background in working in kind of product design, uh, we will get into some of the tactics marketers use to sell us products because ultimately that is what has the biggest impact on our consumeristic uh, tendencies. So <clears throat> let's start off just by uh, defining what, I guess, like consumerism and materialism is. Yeah, so I do just want to say that I, at one point, was a compulsive buyer, but <laughs> times have changed. Yeah. I've changed. Um, yeah, so I would say materialism is putting your identity in a product, and consumerism is society as a whole being focused on getting and having. So um, I'd say materialism is more individual and consumerism is more societal. So we'll probably use those kind of interchangeably. Both of them mean kind of the same thing. One's more individualized, the other's more societal. But both are basically uh, putting emphasis on on possessions, on physical things. That's kind of at the forefront. So I want to kind of go through how we got to this point as a society. We have obviously become more and more consumeristic as time has progressed. And a lot of that has to do with kind of technological advancements. Um, Another uh, reason for that is the tactics that companies use to get us to get their products. Like we've clearly seen a shift in the past few decades with how companies are marketing to us. Like it's, it's impossible to go through a day, even if you're locked in your home, you can't go through a day without seeing some type of advertisement. 
Yeah, I'd agree with that. Unless you're showering or reading a book. Well, that's... I mean, even then, you got your like, you got your soap brands in there. That's every, everywhere, true. there's that's labels true. everywhere. Yeah, I mean, on average, we see around five thousand to ten thousand ads every single day. And um, in America, we are the most advertised to country in the world. So yeah, it it is nearly impossible to escape that. Yeah, we, I mean, ads have gotten so ridiculous that I think we're one, I'm not sure if we're the only, but we're one of the few who allow pharmaceutical ads. Mm. And if you've ever seen one, they're, they're quite comical because <laughs> they basically tell you a thousand ways you can die in those ads. <laughs> um, I we'll market anything to anybody. Well, while skipping through a field of flowers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so one thing marketers have gotten incredibly good at is making you feel like you you absolutely need their product, that your life like would not com- be complete unless you got this item, even if you bought it last year. Um, so I want to get into some of the tactics that they're using here. And I'll mention Apple because they're kind of the gold standard for this. How does a company like Apple get you to spend $1,000 on a product that you literally just bought, you know, nine months ago with like the iPhone 12 to 13 is a perfect example. There's barely any changes to it. They literally shifted the camera and there's a few camera enhancements, a few screen enhancements. Overall, it's essentially the same product, but people are going out there and spending over $1,000 on it when they just spent that much money last year. How do they, how do they do this? Um, that's because companies aren't selling products. They're selling stories and feelings. So according to a Harvard study, 95 of our purchase decisions are emotional. Um, and marketers are master manipulators of your emotions. The really good ones can empathize with the target audience and figure out what that audience really wants. And by that, I mean, do they want status or do they want safety? Marketers can take a basic human need and find a way to appeal to your emotions through clever words, colors, stories, images, and videos. So, for example, since you mentioned Apple, the first thing that came to my mind is their Behind the MacBook campaign, where they show black and white images of the world's best creators like Billie Eilish, Kendrick Lamar, Lady Gaga, all using the MacBook. And in the background, you have this really cool music and a voiceover about these pioneers of industry. And I mean, this commercial still gives me chills. It is so fantastic. I already have a MacBook. And really what that commercial does is it causes me to identify even deeper with Apple. It appeals to my status-driven nature, my desire to be a somebody, and it makes me feel like I'm a part of a tribe of people, which are all very primitive desires. And that's how our brains are wired. We then attach meaning and emotion to those primitive desires, and as a result, the next thing I know, I'm the owner of a new MacBook or a Volvo SUV or whatever that is. I hate TV commercials and ads so much because most of them are just so obnoxious, but I do enjoy watching them because I enjoy dissecting them to see what the company is really trying to sell me. Underneath all the fluff, there's always a message that speaks to one of our primal needs. I think the first step in changing your behavior is knowing how your brain works and knowing that marketers can and do exploit that. Yeah, I think selling status is, is kind of the key thing here. One one thing that comes to mind is like car commercials. Again, they're kind of all the same. It's this 
perfect suburban family all getting into their car with the three kids uh the, the golden retriever <laughs> and then going on this road trip and it's like oh if i only had this fifty thousand dollar car then that then that would be my life then i would be happy mm-hmm. um it's it, yeah yeah you really need to when you're watching ads, it's it's interesting to think from their perspective of what they're trying to sell. They're not selling you a product. They are selling you status or security or safety. Mm-hmm. Um, now, along with the changes in, in the way they're doing this, like it used to be just these TV ads and, and those still are out there, but now they're social media, which has kind of shifted the game. It's more than just these 30 second spots. Um, which we still get those. It's like, you know, YouTube and um, even on social media, you'll get video ads. But there's all types of different ways to market now with social media. I mean, influencer marketing has gone through the roof, especially the past five to seven years. Almost everybody is doing influencer marketing. I mean, to kick off this episode, I, I did I did a, a promotion for an ad. It, it's It's everywhere. Yeah, this is a monster of a topic to even touch on because this could be its own episode. But um, I'm reading a book right now called 10 Arguments for Deleting Your Social Media Accounts by a guy named Jaron Lanier, and he's the founder of Virtual Reality, I think. Did he uh, write The Social Dilemma, the movie, or is he No, but he's on it, and he might have, like, helped produce it. I know they interviewed him on there. Yeah, he's, like, one of the leading figures who speaks out, like, against social media. Um, But... Anyways, his book gets really into the weeds of how social media is a machine built around getting us to buy things and how the algorithms are constantly reevaluating all the little things that will get you to make a purchase. Um, And he calls it the social media behavior modification machine because that's really what it is. Um, So I personally set very strict boundaries for myself on social media. But even just this morning, the first thing that came up on my Instagram was a special message from Instagram telling me that I can get 25% off anything in the shop section. And I think it's because I don't buy things on Instagram and they're really trying to get me to start. But um, part two of this monstrosity are the influencers that you mentioned. These companies know that influencers are trust-building tools for them. But going even further than that, I don't think we should give influencers as much trust as we do. Hey, hey, easy there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I know a few influencers personally. I mean, more than just you. (laughs) But um, And I'm not trying to bash them at all. But I do know that not everything is what it seems. For example, I do photography for one influencer, and I know that she goes and buys clothes and keeps the tags on, and I'll photograph her in her outfits, and then she goes and returns them the next day. And I know her intentions are pure, like she genuinely finds cute outfits and wants to just give people inspiration, but like, don't assume that she has all this money to go out shopping for new clothes every week which we do assume that. Um, I know that causes feelings of inferiority because, you know, you don't have that lifestyle, um, but you don't realize that she's not actually going out and buying new outfits every month because social media is just a highlight reel. But I also know a few girls who, like, plan out their Christmas aesthetics in July, and it changes every year. 
then in October, they'll start buying all the decor and doing up their homes like it's a job for them. I have one friend who like couldn't make it to get to a get together because she had to get her Christmas front porch ready and shoot her content in October. Uh, And then I know some of them take everything back when they're done. So I know that all this has massive implications on materialism and consumerism. But I also know that there's another implication, and that's how much debt we are in as a society. Like, what is it, 80% of all Americans have credit card debt? I think another thing to just be aware of is just because you see someone on an extravagant trip or with the latest Louis Vuitton bag on Instagram does not mean that they actually own that thing. Like, they could be swimming in credit card debt and you'd never know it. Or they could not be, but it's just something to consider. Yeah, I think a lot of times, I mean, we've mentioned this before, just social media, how it, it is a highlight reel. It's it's the best of people's lives. And we often look at that and assume that's, that that is their entire lives. Um, and, and what we've seen with, with these influencers, and I'm not bashing on them, like that's, it is a new way of living. Like a lot of people make their living that way and it's totally fine. Um, uh, that, that what you see is basically them living their lives for others though. Like, like these people who mm-hmm. do, like home decor, uh, influencers, they're, they're huge on Instagram. They will basically build an entire room just for a single shot on Instagram and then take it, return it, take it all back. Like that's not actually their stuff I, on TikTok. This is really big with like young, you know, TikTok up and comers, is there's like actually businesses who will sell or like let you rent taking a picture in front of a car, like a Lamborghini. If you want to take a picture in front oh of a Lamborghini or like yachts and homes, like it's a business wow. where you can rent out your yacht, your home, your your extravagant car to just go take a TikTok video in front of it to pretend it's yours wow. and put that out there. So where all this comes down to is that these companies are, are using influencer marketing to make you feel inferior, that like that you are not enough, you're not sufficient, unless you get this thing, then, then you will be. Um, in reality, a lot of that influencer marketing that we see is, it's not their reality. It's, it's the rea- reality they want you to see. So just another thing to be aware of, of, what's, of, of what you see on the social media, it's, it's, it's not always real. Um, so another shift again uh, with marketing that we've seen in the past, I'd say decade or so, or with, with the upbringing of technology is the, the ability to get things instantly. Like you, you can get an Instagram ad and have that thing at your doorstep in 48 hours with not even feeling like you pay for it. Cause you just use Apple pay. So it's like, Oh, it just scans your face and you pay for it. So you don't even have that feeling of, Oh, I paid for this. It just, I can have this at my door in 48 hours. Uh, like you see an ad for a burger or something or pizza, you can have that in your hands in 30 minutes without lifting a finger. So companies aren't saying only you need a product, but they're saying you need it now. Yeah, companies have made it so easy for us, which just drives consumerism even more. Um, I think one thing you and I are really good at is, well, trying to be good at is not impulse buying. Like we'll let something sit in our Amazon cart for a few days before buying it. And then the other thing I just started to do is I'll never buy anything from an ad again. Mm -hmm. Um, If I do see an ad for something and it's like something I really, really want or really think I need, I will always just give it 24 hours or more. 
Um, my worst impulse buying is done when I go to Target. <laughs> uh, but I also know that there is so much manipulation. Manipulation, sorry. Yeah, you. Uh, maybe you'll get into this, but you worked at uh, IKEA as a visual merchandiser, mm-hmm. which is keyword for make our store design so people spend more money. Yes. That's essentially what what yeah. your job was, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so when I worked for IKEA, my job was to make things look really, really pretty in the store just to get people to buy stuff. Well, and organize in a way that made mm-hmm. people buy stuff. Yeah, I went through like a four-week training on how to organize and design the store to get people to buy stuff. Um, and I know that every Ikea and every Target have multiple departments where the entire purpose of the department is to get people to shop more. Every season, we would have planning meetings with the sales team and the carpentry team, and we would design displays, and we would place them strategically throughout the store. And side note, the store is designed specifically to get you to shop, which I don't think people realize. But like, the reason Ikea has all these, like, it's like a maze, it's because they are walking you into sales. Like, mm-hmm. when you turn a corner, there should be, at least we were instructed, there should be a sign that's like a below 99 cent item. And it's like, st- studies showed that people, more people buy that item when they turn that corner. It's, they do a lot of research and planning to design their stores that way. Well, and once you get in the, uh, once you're in a store and you get into the habit of putting one thing in your cart and then another and then another and then yeah. it's like then once you break the ice the first time which is what they want you to do with those cheaper items yeah. then it's easier to keep on going and keep on spending and, and Ikea's they're really good at this oh I know they're so good at it I know we would the design team would always have to work with the sales team to come up with the most popular add-on items that would generate the most profit for the store and ultimately, it was a job. It was a job that brought me no fulfillment. And based on my interactions with the people there, everybody that I worked with, everyone was angry all the time. There are just certain people that I'll think about on occasion, and the only way I remember them was just mad, like all the time they were mad. And I would always just think to myself, like, how silly to be angry about something that has no lasting impact in this world. Well, on top of that, I want to transition that to uh, to food marketing. Um, we've t- we've talked about l- food labeling in the past. I don't know if we've specifically talked about how kind of they they try to sell you things, but this is the same tactics that they use in grocery stores. Like when you walk into a, a Walmart or a Kroger, um, Aldi, wherever you walk into. Like the way they design that store, and specifically like the displays, like those are not, uh, those are not uh, just thrown up there. Those are very intentional, especially those middle aisles with that are lined up with typically like chips and pop mm-hmm. and seasonal things. Uh, those companies paid for those spots. Like the way it's designed is very intentional. So, do you want to get into the the kind of the food marketing real quick and talk about how grocery stores are arranged? Yeah, well, I would just say based on my experience at Ikea, similar to what you just said, like they designed the store very intentionally. Like it's not a accident that these brands are in the middle aisle. Mm -hmm. Like these companies are paying for these top spots where people, these highly shopped spots. But um, 
I feel like you could probably better answer that question because when it comes to buying food, I think I get swindled <laughs> all the time. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, it's hard because like you do walk in and uh, I'm thinking of the store closest to us as, as a Meyer. You walk in, the first display is always a, a seasonal display, which means they have right now all types of Thanksgiving cookies and, and cakes and pastries. Right behind that is like is the uh, the bake the uh, like baked goods the things you can go ahead and make like a boxed pumpkin pie or things like that. After that, it's all the chips and stuff, and then the alcohol, like your favorite foods, basically all lined up in the center. And if you look at the brands of those, it is every big food brand out there. Like they are they are, they sell those spots for sale. Those are not in just thrown up blindly. Uh, companies like Frito-Lay and uh, Pepsi. Pepsi. Are they owned by the same company? Oh, maybe. I think I think maybe they are. I think PepsiCo Kellogg's. owns Frito-Lay. Kellogg's, Post, all of them, they're paying for those spots. And like going to the cereal aisle, the first cereals are always the uh, the Captain Crunches and the Reese's, like the really good ones. You have to walk down to get to the good stuff. And thing, uh, products at eye level, those spots to get your product at eye level costs a lot more money to get on the store shelves than the one at your feet or the ones above your head. Mm-hmm. So when you're walking into a store, like know that, know, this doesn't even get into the packaging, like the, what's on the packaging. That's a whole other, like this could be its own episode. We probably should do an episode on this in the future, but just know like when you walk into a store, whether that's a grocery store, an Ikea, a Starbucks, an Apple store, the way it's lined out, they have studied and yes. spent millions and millions of dollars to make you want to buy something. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So we're going kind of bashing on marketing. Um, and basically what we want to get, like the, the, the gist of this, what we want to get to is that um, this isn't going to stop anytime soon. This is, this is the world we live in. We're going to be marketed to all the time. And we just want to provide us insight on how to not let that take advantage of you. I think a lot of this is ultimately hurting us. Um, It's hurting our physical health when we're swayed by these foods. It can hurt our emotional health when we buy things that we think will bring us joy. And then within a few days, we just want to buy something else. Um, It only gives us temporary happiness. Uh, It hurts us financially, which in turn continues to hurt us emotionally. I, I did want to touch on a few stats here because as a, as a finance guy, I'm intrigued by the spending habits of Americans. And these numbers are from Experian. It's the average consumer debt per person in 2020. And actually 2020 consumer debt lowered compared to the previous year with the pandemic. So these are actually decreased numbers compared to 2019. Um, so for consumer debt, this is per person on average. They have credit card debt of 5300 Personal loans of sixteen thousand five hundred and auto loans of nineteen thousand seven hundred. That's that's per person. So just a household of two people, on average, they have credit card debt of over ten thousand dollars and tens of thousands in personal loans and auto loans. This does not include mortgages. This does not include um, student loans. This is just consumer debt. Things that we bought that we couldn't afford and that were we went in debt for. Um, but this does not stop us from buying. So something I want to to talk about here is a, it's a psychology concept called, and we've talked about this before back in our gratitude episode, but it's called the hedonic treadmill. 
the, de the definition of the hedonic treadmill is it's, a, it's the tendency for humans to quickly return to a relative stable level of happiness despite major positives or negatives that happened in their life. So whether we have a positive event like buying a new car, like that you feel really happy after you buy a brand new car, or a negative event like let's say you lose your job, like that you feel terrible, in the end, you always return back to a set level of happiness. It, typically within just a few hours, sometimes within a, or typically within a few days, sometimes within a few hours. There is a uh, like a, a chart out there that depicts this, and I'll just kind of walk through it. It's pretty simple, but basically it starts with desire. It's like a circle. It's a cyclical cycle. It starts with desire. Then you go to strive. You strive to get that thing. Next is obtain. You finally get it. Enjoy. So you enjoy the product for a little bit. Then you adapt. And that happens very quickly. We're very adaptable creatures. So when we get something new, we adapt very quickly to it. Then after you've adapt, adapted to it, you start desiring more. And then that just goes in a circle and over and over. Can I just say something? Um, I think it's interesting that it goes into strive after mm. desire because I think now we live in a society where you no longer have to strive yeah. or work for this is true. that thing. Like everyone's just putting it on a credit card or in four installments, pay off this shirt mm. or whatever. So I feel like the strive is going yeah. away and you don't have to work hard to get that thing anymore. So right. it almost makes it even less enjoyable if you mm -hmm. ask me. Yeah, because you don't pay for it now. Like yeah. everything you can do on a payment plan too, that's what's also scary. You can buy you can buy like a $20 item on installment plans now, which is that that whole concept and that idea of financing everything has gotten really, really bad over the past mm -hmm. few years. Yeah. Um, but – Back to this cycle here. Um, just think of the last three things you purchased. Um, and I'm not talking about groceries. I'm talking about things you purchase for yourself, like clothing or a new piece of tech. Like on a scale, rate on a scale of one to 10, how happy that made you feel at the time of purchasing. And then think again, okay, right now in this moment, how happy do I feel on a scale of one to 10? Do I feel about that product now? And I guarantee you that number has declined significantly from the day you bought it to now. Like that happiness, it, it's gone. It's it's temporary. This isn't something that happens to just some people for just some things. It happens to everybody. Whether you're buying like a new t-shirt or buying a $800,000 home, you'll have a spike of happiness for a moment. Then that level of happiness goes right back to its original point. This is, this is proven science. This isn't opinion. This is proven through psychology. Now, I'm not saying that money or certain things don't make life easier. Like life is a lot easier when you have money. Um, but when we buy something significant to just for the purpose of bringing us joy that we don't need, uh, that thing is ultimately going to spike our happiness for a moment. But in the end, you're going to go back to where you were just a couple of days ago. So We've offered a lot of kind of depressing things, like things things ultimately aren't going to lead to happiness. We we from personal experience have have known this. Whenever we buy a new phone, like that that's my weakness is getting new phones. When I buy a new phone, it's like oh I, I want the new iPhone 13. Like it looks well, it looks the same, but I want it still because Apple marketed it well. But I know if I buy that, it will feel new for about two days, and then after that, I won't think of anything of it. And I spent a thousand dollars for it. 
So the next kind of discussion here and to close out, I want to provide some practical tips or advice on how to get out of the rat race of always wanting things. And I think there are two ways to look at this. One, there's a mindset shift. And then there's some kind of actionable takeaways too. But let's talk about the mindset shift first, because I think that's ultimately where this all starts. Like on paper, you can know that you can't afford a new iPhone, but it doesn't have to do with um, with logic. It's it's emotional decisions. So you really have to change the mindset. And I think the first thing to be aware of whenever you're marketed something or you want something, you have a desire for a new thing, like be aware that, like I just talked about the hedonic treadmill, be aware that buying for pleasure is temporary happiness. Like you will have happiness for a couple of days at best, probably a couple of hours, then that happiness is going to go back down to where it was just a few days ago. So beware of of buying for pleasure that is only going to result in in temporary happiness. Um, another mindset shift is to think long term. Um, think about how the decisions we make now impact us down the road. And that's really, really hard to do in a world of immediate gratification. But buying something now does cost us something down the road. Yeah, so um, along with the mindset shift, I would say one thing that really helped me is just starting to find contentment in the things that I do have. And um, unlike you, for me, it's not phones, it's clothes. So I could spend all my money on clothes. Um, But one thing I started to do is view what I have as something I really love. And then I stopped desiring having more. so that's just been a really beneficial way for me to kind of like break that cycle. Yeah. Well, I think that goes into the third like mindset shift here is to ask yourself whether this item like adds value to your life. Like, is this a need or is this just a want? I know it's kind of a classic uh, example there, but like think, does this thing actually add value or am I buying it for somebody else? Am I buying it for status? Yeah. Am I buying it for whatever reason? Like, there's so many different reasons we're, we're pushed to buy products, but in the end, does it add value to your life? And this is where the whole idea of, of minimalism comes in. This is kind of a, a, I don't know, lifestyle that has, I don't know, it was started to get popularized maybe a decade ago. It's kind of fading out a little bit, but it's it, it, it comes in waves of popularity. But minimalism, is it, that's what this is. It's its not necessarily – a lot of people think it's just like owning less, like owning one plate, one fork, one shirt. Like that's an example of minimalism, sure. But what minimalism truly is, like a minimalist lifestyle, is only having things in your life that add value to your life instead of uh, being swayed by all of these you know, consumeristic tendencies. And that's something that we've – uh, both been really intentional about over the past year, year and a half. Um, we actually did, which I'll go into our actual takeaways now, because these are things that we've done is all three of these um, things that I think will help you uh, get away from this idea of always trying to buy things to buy happiness. Um, one of those is doing a, a 30 day minimalist challenge 
this was uh, the challenge is from the minimalists. There's two guys who kind of really are the ones responsible for for really popularizing this movement about a decade ago. But it's a 30-day challenge where every day, so you start in the first of a month, and every day you get rid of uh, of things that correlate to the day of the month. So like November 5th, you get rid of five things. November 6th, six things. November 28th, 28 things. Uh, And then you're slowly clearing away your home of things that do not add value. You can... You can sell them, you can donate them, you can give them away, whatever you want to, whatever way you want to get rid of them. But a lot of us have a lot of things in our home that we don't need. It just, it's clutter, it, uh, it's storage, it creates, I don't know, ain't not anxiety, but like just a cluttered mind. I mean, cluttered desk, cluttered mind. I think that's a quote out there, isn't it? But when you have a messy house, like you're trying to open a drawer and the, the potato masher won't let you open the drawer. Like, that's frustrating. But getting rid of excess, it, it, it feels really good. And we've, we have we went through this challenge and we got rid of a lot of stuff. And we already have a pretty small home, so we did not have a lot to start with. Um, but it felt good. It felt good to purge and, and kind of break those emotional ties to things you think you need, but in the end aren't adding value. Yeah, and I also just on that want to say, like, I bought those things thinking that they would make me happy and then they just ended up in a donation pile and I think like that was hard for me to see like okay this did not satisfy me forever Mm -hmm. you know like at one point it got old and it ended up in a donation pile so it's like that's how everything is you know Uh, yeah I think more than anything it's Yes, it it is nice to clean up the home, but more than anything, it is shifting your mind to realizing what's important and what's not. It's like, uh, I mean, in the things I got rid of, it's like, oh, I bought this on Instagram literally two months ago and I'm already throwing it out. Yeah. Oh, I had so many of those. Yeah. Where it's like, I just bought this and it's like, or I bought it a year ago and I'd not even touched it. Yeah. That'd be an interesting thing to keep track of. It's like, okay, I'm getting rid of hundreds of things. How many of these did I buy in the past year? Yeah. And then that will make you really reevaluate like what you buy in the future. So I think that's one actionable thing you can do to help like force you to shift your mindset. Um, another thing is, is that you are in the process of doing Mariah is a year, year of less or year of nothing where you, you want to explain what yeah. that is? It's a year of less. I'm not going to say it's a year of nothing, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, it was a book I read. Um, I think her name's Kate Flanders, but she wrote a book about how she stopped shopping for a year and she just didn't buy anything unless she wrote it on like a predetermined need list. So she had like a pair of pants that she needed and and she evaluated all that before the year of less and then every month she tracked her finances and she tracked how much she saved by not spending um all this money on on little stupid things i don't think she ate out um she did allow herself to travel because that was a meaningful thing for her to do um but it was a really inspiring book, and I thought, gosh, I would love to really just cut this uh, behavior out of my life. Like, I would love to change that behavior um, of impulsive shopping or just feeling like I need things to fulfill me. And um, it's been a really good year. It's been a lot easier than I uh, thought it would be, I'm going to say. Um 
if I do need something, I've told myself, like, first I'm going to look at a thrift store and see if I can buy it used or, like, um, for cheaper instead of buying it brand new. Um, but, yeah, it's definitely shifted my mindset a lot. Um, like, I haven't bought any clothes for a really long time. And, it's mm-hmm. like, I know that clothes don't make me happy, but it just feels like they will. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. Um and the third one we have here is pr- the practice of giving. And this is one that is, it's a, quite frankly hard for a lot of people. It's hard for me. I'm not a natural giver. Like when I, if I were to just be, you know, given a hundred or a thousand dollars, let's say like it would, it'd be very hard for me just to pass that on to somebody else. Um, but it really does shift you, um, your your idea of things and your idea of money. It does shift that for the good when you start giving. Um, do you want to talk about kind of your experience with this over the past year? Like, I guess to to recap us, like we started this, I don't know, maybe just like three months ago, we started yeah. making it a, a common a, a practice, a common practice, like incorporating it into the budget to give to yeah. people. And not just like, I mean, you can give however you want. Part of that is giving to your church or you can give to um, just random acts of kindness throughout. Like the other day we were at Chipotle and there was a, a homeless man on on the street. So we just bought him a Chipotle bowl and just gave mm-hmm. it to him. Like something simple like that. But it, it needs to be intentional because if you just say, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll do that sometime. Like you won't do it. Like yeah. set aside however much a month. The, kind of the standard is like 10%, but set aside a certain amount of money a month to use just to, to give as you please. Like it, it is fun. It's it's fun yeah. to do that and, and to see the joy in people's faces. Yeah. I think Dave Ramsey says you'll have no, you won't have any more fun with money than when you give. And yeah. I would agree with that because like you said, I love giving. I'm a natural giver, but um we didn't always make it an intentional practice in our budget. And as a result, we really never did give. And so now that we've set aside money in our budget that is specifically for giving, it's really fun. It's like, oh, let's pay for so-and-so's meal, you know, at dinner this month as a way to just give. Or like like you said, it was so fun to just be able to give this homeless man um, some food that we probably wouldn't have done if I didn't have in my mind like, oh, we have this much left in giving for the month. Like, we can we can do that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I've I have loved adding that into our life. And it doesn't have to be like. I mean, clearly, there's a lot of people are in a financial burden, especially in these yeah. past two years. Uh, it doesn't have to be a lot. I mean, it, even if it's you're setting aside twenty dollars a month mm-hmm. to do something like that, like even it, just ten dollars. Yeah. 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 It, it can be small. Yeah. Um. So that's kind of the gist of everything we wanted to cover here. The ultimate takeaway is that consumerism, materialism, like these things, history has shown us that these do not result in in happiness. Like we've become a very wealthy society in 2021. We are a very wealthy society. We have Mm -hmm. access to almost anything, yet you can see that we are not more happy than before. Like things aren't aren't ultimately going to make us happy. So just be aware of that. Be aware of the, the way these companies are marketing to you because they use a lot of tactics that are uh, get you to spend a lot of money and get you to want things that aren't ultimately going to make you happy. Um, now, this wasn't like a whole guilt trip as you head into the holiday season to not buy anything. Like that's not what we're saying. We're still doing Christmas. Like we, we typically buy we do we do gifts gifts exchange at christmas so 
we uh, we have toned that back a little bit for sure. Um, we've kind of changed that, but um, or we ahead. will like give experiences to each yeah. other, like make memories yeah. together instead of like buying something. Right. Um, so there are definitely ways you can still enjoy the Christmas season and. Yeah, it's not a guilt trip at all. Yeah, no, we're not we're not canceling Christmas here. Um, it's just all we're saying is to be more cognizant of of how you how things on the internet, how things in stores are perceived, like that. And how marketers exploit you, really. This, this is true. This is true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for uh, listening to us ramble here. We hope you guys got a little bit of value out of that. Um, just to recap, actionable takeaways for you to try. 30-day minimalist challenge. You can look it up online. There's like trackers for it, but get rid of one thing day one, two things day two, and so on. You'll really clean up your house a lot and you'll feel good. You can try a year of less where you only buy things that are essential for 365 days. That probably means canceling your Amazon Prime account, which will save you some money. Um, And practice giving, just a monthly practice of giving however much you can. If that's $10, if that's $10,000, whatever works for you. Um, All right, that is a wrap. Hopefully Andy will be done with his run and be back with us next week. In the meantime, um, go ahead and subscribe to Health Act Newsletter. Uh, We got some interesting stories in there every Friday. Basically, we summarize everything in the health realm, all the news in a single condensed newsletter. And it's free. It's fun to read. Um, So subscribe at healthact.com. Pick up some element at drinkelement.com slash health act and hope you guys all have a great week.